0: Be conscious. And they ask you about the orphans. Yatama is a plural of Yatim. So what was this question about specifically the wealth of the orphans? Okay? Like for example, if a man his brother died, for example. And his brother who died had a son. Now basically the son inherited a whole lot of money from his father. Okay? So now where is this son gonna go? He's gonna go stay with his uncle. Where is his money going? With him. Who's going to take care of it? The uncle will. You get it? Are you with me or are you lost? Let me start again. Okay? There's a guy. His name is Majid. His brother's name is Abid. Let's say. Abid has a son, Abdullah. Okay? Abdullah is only five years old. What happens? Unfortunately, Abid and his wife, they die in a car accident. Now, All the money they had, their house, whatever, a huge chunk of it is going to who? Their son, Abdullah. Now Abdullah cannot live in a house himself. Why? Because he's only five years old. Who's he going to live with? Some family. He only has this one Uncle Majid, so he moves into Uncle Majid's house. Right? But whatever stuff he had in his house, in his parents' house, like the dining table, the furniture, where is that going to go? A lot of that stuff comes with Abdullah because Abdullah needs it. Okay? His bookshelf, his bed, whatever. His clothes, his toys, he needs it. So all of that comes. Even the money comes. Now, of course, Abdullah's too young to take care of everything himself. Right? So who's going to be taking care of all of his finances? Uncle Majid. So Uncle Majid wants to know that, can I charge Can I take, you know, because Abdullah goes to school, private school, I pay his fees every month. He's got this whole, you know, million dollars sitting in the bank, which he can take when he's 18. But can I take some of it every month just to pay his fees? And because I'm buying food for him, I'm taking him for basketball, you know, I'm taking him for his tutoring, whatever. So can I pay for that from his money? And because my time is going into taking care of this child, can I charge a little bit? Can I take... Because my time is going. So this is his concern. Can I do that? And then he thinks, okay, a million dollars, can I invest them in something? So he's asking that, can he touch Abdullah's money or not? Can he touch it or not? Or does he have to just stay away from it and when Abdullah's old enough, he'll take it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, "Qul إِصْلَاحٌ لَهُمْ خير. Reformation for them is better. Meaning, if you have to touch the orphan's money, it should be in the interest of the orphan, for the benefit of the orphan. So for example, if you want to invest it, why? So that it grows, that's good. That's good. But just because you're allowed to touch it, doesn't mean that you say, okay, you know what, let me just take 500,000 from it and pay for my house. That's not okay. إِصْلَاحٌ خير If you touch the orphan's money, touch it, for the interest of that child. And if you mix with them, is from "khalaamta" اِخْتِلَاط is to mix up. So if you were to mix with them, meaning your money with their money, what does that mean? But for example, Uncle Majid decides every month, I'm gonna take $300 from Abdullah's money. Why? So that we can buy good food for him. And we can buy clothes for him. Okay? Now when he goes to the grocery store, he's got Abdullah's money and he's got his own money. And he's doing two grocery bills every single time. And then he buys yogurt for Abdullah, but Abdullah is not eating it now. And he needs yogurt. So can Uncle Majid take a spoonful of Abdullah's yogurt? You know, these are real questions. These are real issues. And this is what happens when a person fears Allah. He will wonder... Can I take some of this orphan child's yogurt or not? Can I or can I not? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if you mix your affairs with theirs, meaning instead of doing two grocery bills every time, you just do one, and instead of having one yogurt for Abdullah and one yogurt for Majid, you have only one yogurt that Abdullah and Majid share, is that okay? Allah says, فَإِخْوَانُكُمْ Then they're your brothers in faith. Meaning, how do you treat your brother at home? What do you do? Your yogurt, my yogurt. Yeah? No, you don't do that. When you go for groceries, are you like, okay, this is my sister's grocery, this is my grocery, this is my mom's, this is my dad's. No, you don't do that. There's one grocery bill for the whole family. Right? فإخوانكم, this is normal. But, Allah knows the corrupter from the reformer. Don't say that you're charging $300, you're taking $300 every month because of groceries, and instead of buying groceries, you're paying your internet bill. And when Abdullah says at the grocery store, Uncle Majid, can I have some fruit yogurt? You say, no, no, it's too expensive. That's not okay. You understand? You understand what I'm saying? That Allah knows the corrupter from the reformer. Allah knows why you're touching the orphan child's money. With what intention are you touching his money? For the child's favor or for his loss? Allah knows your intention. And this is something we should be so careful about. Allah knows why we're doing something with what intention to really make it better or to make it worse. People may not know, but Allah knows. If Allah wanted, He could have made your life very difficult. Arnatakum is from Ainunta. And anat is basically distress. You see, anat is when a bone that was previously broken and mended breaks again. So imagine someone's arm broke. They fractured their arm. They got a cast. It took several months to heal. What happened? They fell again and broke their bone at the same place now what now what healing will take much longer so this is anath literally all right so from this anath is used for a difficulty in which there is constant risk okay which is why if a person breaks their bone then they have to become extra careful because they're at risk of breaking it again and if they break it again their life will be in a lot of difficulty so if Allah wanted, He could have put you in a situation where you would be in risk of falling into sin again and again. Meaning, imagine if the rules were such that you cannot have one grocery bill. And you cannot share food. Everything has to be kept separate. 100% separate. How difficult life would be. If Allah wanted, He could have done that. Inna اللَّهَ Azizun Hakim, Indeed, Allah is mighty and wise. He has the power to legislate that. Who can question him? He's Hakim. He's wise, and he has mercy towards you, which is why he has made these rules easy for you. So, what's the lesson in these verses about the wealth of the orphans? I mean, what benefit can we take for ourselves? Okay. So, be careful about your intentions. Why are you doing something? Sometimes, on the surface, we appear to be, oh, you know, I really care for you. But inside we're cursing that individual. Seriously. This is hypocrisy. Allah knows our real intentions. We cannot hide our real intentions from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, good question. What if Uncle Majid is in poverty? Is he allowed to charge Abdullah for taking care of him, for you know, driving him everywhere and watching him and you know, looking after him? Yes, he can. But again, it should be a reasonable amount. Not excessive amount. That okay, if I would be working as a nanny, then I would, not a nanny, what is it? Manny? I don't know. What do you call a male nanny? Anyway. Caretaker, caretaker guardian, whatever. Then I would be making, for example, $3,000 a month. Right? So the Uncle Majid says, okay, $2,000 for his school fees and everything else, groceries and clothing, and $3,000, my chart. So every month, $5,000 he's taking from Abdullah's account. And so when Abdullah is 18, what does he have left? Zero dollars. That's not okay. Right? So Allah knows your intention. Another important thing we learn in this ayah is that if Allah wanted, He could have made the religion very difficult for us but He hasn't. And this is something we need to appreciate every single day. If Allah wanted, He could have ordered us to pray 50 times a day. But He has ordered us to pray 5 times a day. So let's stop whining about 5 daily prayers and be grateful for the fact that we don't have to pray 50 a day. Sometimes we complain too much. Islam is too hard. Why are there so many rules? Halal, haram, you know, people have it so easy and, you know, why does it have to be so hard? It's not hard. If Allah wanted, He could have made it harder. But He hasn't. And He has given you some rules for your own benefit. So be grateful. وَلَا تَنْكِحُ الْمُشْرِكَاتِ حَتَّى Now, this verse is about Marriage. Okay, And the following verses in the next lesson are also about marriage. In fact, there are some verses about marriage and many more verses about divorce. Now, marriage begins with what? Marriage begins with what? Finding a spouse. Okay? You can get your dress, but if you don't have a person, you're not getting married. You can book a hall. You can get the imam. You can get the paperwork done. You can even get a marriage license. But if you don't find a person to marry, you're not getting married. So, the most important thing when it comes to getting married is who? The person that you're going to marry. So, here in this ayah, we are being taught to choose the spouse carefully. Okay? You might think, oh, what do I have to do? I'm only 16. Well, You may be 15 or 14, but I know in the back of your head you do have dreams of, you know, or intentions of, you know, marrying the best person or at least having the best person in your life. Okay? Now, we had a previous discussion some lessons ago, which was a very awkward and comfortable discussion. And this discussion might also be awkward for you. But while I was preparing for this last night, honestly, I was like, how am I going to talk about this? It's weird for you to hear it, it's weird for me to say it. Okay? But the thing is, it's in the Qur'an, which means that we cannot avoid it. And it's in Suratul Al-Baqarah, which we are told to recite frequently. Right? So, if it's in the Qur'an, then that means this is a discussion that should not be avoided. It should not be ignored. Because this is a real issue. It's a human issue. So in this verse, and this is just the beginning, this verse is about marriage, the following verses are about much more serious issues. And it's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. But realize that if Allah has mentioned this in the Qur'an, it means that every single one of us should know about these issues and should be clear about these issues. Because when we don't talk about these issues, we don't know about them, we make decisions in ignorance. And then we regret later. Or there are problems in marriages. There's huge problems in relationships. And when it comes to marriage and relationships, I mean, typically, people are on one extreme where they make everything haram to be on the safe side. Or, people say, forget about religion, do whatever you want. This is... 2017, right? So do whatever you want. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned these matters in detail in the Qur'an because we are in need of them. We need to learn about them to live our lives properly. So marriage begins with finding the right spouse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us guidelines over here that لا تنكح المشركات This is to the men that, O oh men, do not marry mushrik women. Mushrikat is a plural of mushrika, and mushrika is a woman who commits shirk. What is shirk? To associate partners with Allah. Basically, idolatry. And also remember that there is a distinction between the people of the book, Ahlul Kitab, and the mushrikeen. Okay? Who are Ahlul Kitab, people of the book? They're the Jews and the Christians. So, who are the mushrikeen? Everybody else. Okay? Even atheists, they would fall in this category. So, لا tankihul المشركات Do not marry Mushrikat, حتى يؤمن until they believe. If they believe in Allah, go ahead. Perfectly fine to marry them. But if they don't believe in Allah, then do not marry them. وَلَأَمَةٌ And surely, a female slave, that mu'minatun, that is a believer, is خَيْرٌ min mushrikatin. She is better than a mushrik woman. A slave woman who believes in Allah is better than a free woman who does shirk with Allah. وَلَوْ أَعْجَبَتْكُمْ Even if she pleases you. Meaning even if the mushrik woman is so pleasing to you, you love her, you adore her, you want to spend your life with her, you want to have your family with her, but she does shirk, Allah says, do not marry her. Same goes for women. tunkihu, And O guardians, do not give in marriage al Mushrikeen to the mushrik men. Meaning do not give your daughters in marriage to mushrik men. Do not marry a Muslim woman to a mushrik man until they believe. So if a mushrik man believes in Allah, leaves his shirk, then there is no harm in having your daughter marry him. And if you don't find any Muslim men, وَالْعَبْدٌ خَيْرٌ مِّنْ A believing slave is better than a mushrik man. وَلَوْ Even if he pleases you. Meaning even if the mushrik man pleases you, even if you think that he would be the best person for your daughter. Don't do that. Why? Why is it that a Muslim, man or woman, is not allowed to marry a mushrik? What's the reason? Allah tells us Himself, أُولَٰئِكَ يَدْعُونَ إِلَى because they invite to the fire. وَاللَّهُ ila Al الْجَنَّةِ And Allah calls to paradise. وَالْمَغْفِرَةِ And forgiveness بِإِذْنِهِ by His permission. آيَاتِهِ لِلنَّاسِ And He makes clear His verses for the people. لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَذَكَّرُونَ So that they take heed. They should pay attention and they should learn from this command. So what do we see here? When choosing a spouse... Don't just think about dunya. Think about akhira also. You may find a person very attractive. You may find a person as the best partner for you. But if they do shirk, then yes, living with them may benefit you in this life. But in the akhira, what's going to happen? You're going to suffer. So don't just think about now. Think about the akhira also. Now, the thing is that Marriage is not just about having fun. It's not just about pleasure. It's not just about legalizing sex. No. Marriage is more than pleasure. In a marriage, your spouse affects you. Your spouse affects your work, your day-to-day choices, your character your social circle, your decisions. This is why be careful when you choose a spouse. The first thing you should see in them is their religion. Are they Muslim or not? How serious are they about their Islam? Don't just go for their looks. Don't just go for their money. Don't just go for their career. No. Look at their Deen. That's the number one thing you see. The Prophet ﷺ told us that a woman is chosen for marriage for four reasons. Her wealth, her social status, her beauty, and her religion. He said, marry the religious woman, may your hands be filled with sand. And the same goes for men. A man is married for one of these four reasons. Either his money, or his social status, his handsomeness, or his religion. So what should a woman choose? what should she give most importance to? His looks? No. His deen. That's the number one thing. Deen. And then secondly, after that, also look at compatibility. Are you guys compatible or not? Are you going to get along or not? Or are you going to be always looking at things differently? He's from Spain, speaks Spanish, you don't know a word of Spanish, whatever, and you're from a different part of the world. Different cultures, you know, you don't even like each other. You don't even think the same way, and you just say, oh, well, he's a Muslim. That's not enough. Islam is the number one condition, requirement, and then after that, you also have to see compatibility. Why? Because your spouse affects you. It's this person that you're living with every day of your life. You're around them, they're around you. You know, it's going to affect your language your decisions, your work, your social circle. So if you marry a person who doesn't have Islam in their life, what's going to happen to you? How are you going to practice your Islam? Have you ever noticed that people change after marriage? Have you ever seen anybody who changed after they got married? Yeah? I'm not saying it's a bad change, but I'm just saying people change after they get married. How exactly do they change? Let me give you a personal example. I never had tea, coffee... It's just not my thing. My husband loves coffee. And now, I cannot do without coffee. Like seriously. I love coffee. And if you gave me coffee like 10 years ago, I wouldn't have it. I just wouldn't have it. It was just not my thing. But eventually, his coffee habits affected me also. You know, because every morning when you smell that coffee, you're like, "Mm, I want it. You avoid it for like two, three, four years, five years, and then you're like, let me try it. And then the next day, I really liked it, you know. Let me have it again. This is just coffee. Imagine if a person is doing shirk that you're living with. Are their decisions not going to affect you? They will. Their character is going to affect you. They don't have any issues about halal food, haram food, alcohol, gambling. They're going to indulge in those things, and you will be pulled right into it. How much are you going to say no? How much are you going to criticize your spouse? So you can't live with these daily battles. So this is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where He has commanded us to choose the spouse wisely. Secondly, somebody asked a question that they heard that a Muslim man is allowed to marry a non-Muslim woman. A Muslim man is allowed to marry a woman from the Ahlul Kitab, which means either Jewish or Christian. Okay, A Muslim man can do that. But a Muslim woman is not allowed to marry a Jewish man or a Christian man. You might say, not fair. (laughs) Hmm? The thing is, a very important concept you must understand. What is hierarchy? What is hierarchy? Can you tell me? You see, in a school, who has the most authority? Principal. Then? Vice principal. Then? Your teachers. And then? You finally, right? Finally, maybe you come like way at the bottom of the food chain or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, all the rules restrictions are for you, and everybody's just bossing around. The point is that you could say it's not fair that the principal can do something that I cannot do, or a vice principal may say it's not fair that the principal can do something that I cannot do. We should be equal. No. Equality is good in many situations, but a hierarchy is needed in many situations also. You need to have somebody who's in control, somebody who has the final say. This is not necessary in every situation, but in some situations. Alright? Like for example, if you're driving... And the person sitting next to you, and the person sitting behind you is constantly telling you, can you speed up? Can you slow down? Can you be careful? Can you go in the right lane? Can you change the lane? Can you turn right from here? Can you not take the highway? Can you take this exit? What do you call such people? Back seat drivers. Annoying people. And then what do you say? I remember once I was driving and my brother was constantly criticizing me. You know what I did? I just parked on the side I said, drive. He said, thank you. I said, go ahead, you drive. I'm not driving. So the thing is that you can only have one driver for the car at a time. Yes, two people may be able to drive it in the sense that both are insured on that vehicle, but at a time only one individual can drive it, correct? And if two individuals start driving it, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What happened with me in that situation was that I kept taking the wrong exit. Because he was distracting me, annoying me, constantly criticizing me. I couldn't focus on driving. Right? So that can happen with you. The point is that, write this down. Equality is good in many situations and hierarchy is good in many situations also. Okay? Now in a marriage, in a marriage, there are two people mainly, a husband and a wife. Right? But when it comes to certain matters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the husband the in charge. ar-rijalu qawwamun Okay? The husband is the in charge. The husband is in the driver's seat. It doesn't mean that he's better in every way. No. It just means that he has been given a responsibility that a wife has not been given. This is the hierarchy within the marriage. And I'm talking only about the marriage. I'm not talking about, in general, all the time men are bosses of women. No. This is, I'm talking about just the relationship of marriage. Okay? So the thing is, that a Muslim man is allowed to marry a Christian woman. Why? Because who's the boss in this relationship? The husband is. But if a Muslim woman marries a Christian man, you know, the power dynamics are not the same. Man in many cultures we see that men are more dominant than women. Right? Even in societies where men and women are supposed to be equal, many times in a relationship, men because of their power or because of their ego or whatever, they just take over. Right? And I'm not saying that's good or that's how it should be. That's just the reality. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has saved us, has protected us from potential danger, from potential harm to our deen. Alright? All right? But when it comes to mushrikeen, then no. A Muslim man cannot marry a mushrik, and a Muslim woman cannot marry a mushrik either. Is that clear? The reason is that in a marriage also, you're not just looking for fun now, you're looking for eternal success. The dunya and the akhirah. Inshallah, we'll conclude over here. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashhadu la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruka wa atubu Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.